Hey, so let's talk about Encanto. Awesome. Two middle-aged guys. Two middle-aged guys talking about about Encanto. Encanto. You know, people are always surprised. I should say a small subset of people are always surprised when we talk about Marvel movies. I remember someone saying, wait, that's so weird that you like Marvel movies. Everybody likes Marvel movies. Yes. Except like, you know, Martin Scorsese, but we're not counting him. I would argue that everybody in sort of kind of also likes Disney Pixar animated features, right? Yes. They're a, they're a vital part of our culture, especially we both have kids. Mm-hmm. And so our kids watch them. And sometimes they're really boring, like Luca. <laughs> I wouldn't call Luca very boring. Okay. I enjoyed Mostly Luca, boring. but I would not rank Luca as the highest tier of Pixar film. Yeah. It's not, not, not up there with Ratatouille. It's not all the way down with Ratatouille, <laughs> for sure. No, but Encanto, mm-hmm. I really, really loved. I thought it was fantastic. And I thought it was good. Good plus, <laughs> right? Good plus. Good okay. plus. Eight out of 10. Eight out of 10? Yeah. Yeah. Eight I'll, out of 10 I, I don't think I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 either. Mm-hmm. Coco is still my favorite. Coco is a 10 out of 10 for me. Coco, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But what I really love about Encanto is that it is part of the much broader spectrum of South American magic realism fiction. I should say Latin American because we can include a lot of Mexican stuff in there as well. Yes, Central America, I mean, does quite a bit. And so you've got, you know, it is Colombian. Mm-hmm. And Colombia is where Gabriel Garcia Marquez comes from, who wrote 100 Years of Solitude, which is like the great granddaddy yes. of magic realism. It's um, the Lord of the Rings of magic realism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well said. And that is something you and I have both not only read and enjoyed, but studied yes. in college academically. Mm-hmm. I think House of the Spirits is one of my favorite novels of all time. Top five, easy. And that's Ooh. Chilean. Let's define magic realism. I'm going to let you okay. go at this. Actually, you know what I'm going to do before mm. we get into this? Oh. I'm going to do a food heist. Oh, well. You excited for this? Ad, we're, we're, we're taking a break. It's we're like an ad break. break, except the ad, ad break is break. for food yeah. that we I can't just, eat. Before we get into our definitions and we begin this discussion of magic realism, it's important for you all to know that there was, at the end of January, a food heist in the Sacramento area where they stole baby formula. Oh, okay. And I, I love this. It happened at a Target, and they found these people, and they followed them down, and they pulled the car over, and they found in the back a one-year-old, quote, sitting in a car seat completely surrounded by containers of baby formula. And then <laughs> retrieved along with them was other items worth more than $5,900. And now when you phrase it that way, it sounds like this isn't really a baby formula heist. Right. This is a heist of something else that happened to have baby formula. Mm-hmm. But here's where it gets awesome. They had actually, the target loss prevention team, you know, which I like to imagine they are, you know, commandos that rappel down through skylights. Mm-hmm. They had actually been following this couple of thieves wow. for two years. So it's true heist. True heist. Yeah. They had been hitting targets all over the greater Sacramento area and over the course of two years stole nearly $200,000 worth of baby formula. Wow. That is one thirsty kid. Yeah. 
Mm. Well, and the kid in the car when they got him was only one year old, so they were starting this before. For all I know, they had the kid in order to like deal with their excess baby formula problem. I shouldn't be making fun of a one-year-old in this story. Mm. And so I don't know if this was, I mean, this clearly was a baby formula ring that just was like, while we're here, let's take some TVs or whatever. I don't know if that's because they were supplying underprivileged families who needed baby formula. That's the noble version of the story. Right, yes. Uh, Or if maybe there is some part of baby formula, some chemical component that is very useful in the production of some other chemical substance. Mm. I don't know. That would be a very cool thriller plot thing. Yeah, you could write a really awesome story if that were the case. That's that's like the, the modern Breaking Bad meets Raising Arizona, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're stealing baby formula because we're going to make drugs out of it. But yeah. we still have babies. That sounds pretty dark, actually. It, it, it would be very dark, and mm-hmm. I would love it. I mm-hmm. would absolutely write that story. Do you so. love Raising Arizona? I like Raising Arizona. Okay. It is uh, Lesser Coen Brothers. Oh, it counts under the fold for Lesser Coen Brothers. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I'm not sure. I'd have to watch it again to see if I'd put it under the fold. I definitely wouldn't put it top tier. What's top tier Coen Brothers for you? Hudsucker Proxy is my top, but I understand that Hudsucker Proxy on a logical level is not as technically competent as something like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, mm-hmm. which just is more mass appeal, uses music and visuals and just maybe a slightly leveled up sort of way. I mean, they're both fantastic. Yeah. Those would be my number one and number two. And I think Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is probably... Number one, except in my heart. (laughs) Hudsucker Proxy used to be my favorite. Mm -hmm. And now when I went back and watched it, I think it was last year or the year before, it was during pandemic, Mm -hmm. I realized, oh, this is clearly a learning how to find their voice kind of movie. It kind of is. I'd agree with that. That it is, you know, for all the heart that it has, it still is very much a puzzle box of a movie, mm-hmm. and you can see the gears turning, which, you know, right. is literally a motif in the movie, and so that yeah. may be purposeful. But compared to some of their later stuff where they mm-hmm. really had found their footing and they knew what they were right. doing and how to do it, I mean, for me, obviously, the dark stuff is where I go. So what's your number one, then? Oh, No Country for Old Men. Okay. Wow. Yeah. If there's I a movie in the that. world that yeah. rivals Jaws for my affection, mm-hmm. it is No Country for Old Men. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of Fargo, but you know. Right. Ah, Fargo's the, real good. The triumvirate, yeah. the, the 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 holy trinity of Coen brothers for me is Fargo and No Country and Oh Brother Where Art Thou. You know, probably I would have to admit Fargo is better again. <laughs> so Hudsucker Proxy is still number one in my heart, but now it's down to number three. <laughs> and probably No Country Before Old Men as well. But above stuff like the... Um, Dueling divorce attorneys one, which is fun. Oh, intolerable cruelty. But that one's fun, but it is also definitely lesser Coen yeah. Brothers. Yeah. Anyway. The, th- the thing about Fargo mm-hmm. and the thing that I recognize that for a lot of people it is, they like it more than No Country. Mm-hmm. And it's because Fargo has hope in it. Levity? They've got that yes. absolutely wonderful speech right mm-hmm. at the end where Francis McDormand is like, why are you doing this? You're alive. And it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, she's like, hey, good. You got the little five cent stamp. Everyone needs the five cent stamp. Like there's hope in it. Yes. And no country has no hope in it whatsoever. Yeah. But 
Anyway, weren't we going to talk about Encanto? Yeah, hey, so let's go back to this. Let's talk about magic realism. Okay. So magic realism is a distinctly Latin American genre of literature. Mm-hmm. And it is important to point out that while Brandon and I have read it and love it and studied it, we are not from these cultures. Mm-hmm. And so we are likely to get stuff wrong. We do have a genuine love for it, though. So we, we hope yes. that... We're trying to be respectful and not be well, inaccurate in our assessments. And we will we will definitely get some things wrong. We're also yeah. kind of across the fence from it, right? Magic realism is often defined as literary fiction with fantastical elements, where mm-hmm. a lot of what we're doing is the fantasy that occasionally has literary elements. I don't like that dichotomy. Yeah. Let's just point that out. I hate that if you go to textbook definitions... They will call magic realism a separate thing from fantasy. And the only excuse they can give is one is literature and one isn't. And I would call them both under the, I accept Margaret Atwood's speculative fiction umbrella as kind of a olive branch given from one side to the other. (laughs) I would say we're all under this same umbrella, but there is this point to make that the literary community is very possessive of magic realism very possessive and you know we we live in a very long hundreds of year old literary history that has Mm -hmm. been trying very hard to separate itself from the fantastical yes to the point that you know this is something that i think we may have even joked about on this podcast before tony morrison's beloved yes is a straight up ghost story yes but it doesn't count because it's good and therefore it can't be yeah. genre. Let's leave that aside. Yeah. So we're we're going to leave that aside. One of the things that I do love about magic realism as a genre is that they are trying to tell great stories about people and families in particular. Tends to mm-hmm. be but is not always a strong theme and they do not shy away from the fantastical. That they right. use it as an element of kind of this is how I'm going to explain this idea or this character or right. this event that happened, I'm going to bring fantastical stuff into it. And what makes that different from fantasy, traditional fantasy doing the same thing? The usual explanation is uh, magic realism does use tropes and literary styling of the realism movement mm-hmm. of the early 20th century. Like that's a literary movement. When they say magic realism, they are saying it is part of their, an offshoot of the realism movement, but it is adding this like everyday magic that is treated as, in some cases it can be spectacular, mm-hmm. but it's treated as understood and expected. It's not understood in the, we understand the mechanics, but understood in this is part of the world and it's just how the world works. Yeah, it's just a thing that happens. And it's also worth pointing out, while we have already touched on this, yeah. that magic realism does come from a distinctly different cultural background from Latin America that so, has a lot of different touchstones and a lot of different history. Are you okay then with Encanto being written by someone who wasn't from that culture? Well, they did have a uh, Colombian woman as one of the directors and I think as one of the screenwriters. But the main screenwriter, as I understand, this is them doing the right thing by saying, Mm -hmm. let's get people from the culture. But the main screenwriter, as I understand, was same screenwriter as Moana and, you know, went and got Mm -hmm. a director to co-direct with. This is the story we want to tell. But we don't want to tell it from the outside. We would like you to step in. Right. I don't know the full history of how the movie was made and who made Mm -hmm. it. I 
personally find it really kind of beautiful and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great. And so I don't have mm-hmm. an issue with that. I think that you can definitely watch the progression from Moana to Encanto as they say, oh, we tried to be respectful to a culture mm-hmm. and there were things that we got really wrong. Right. Now we're going to be better at it this time. And part starting of what they did Mulan to be better was, let's, and, well, yeah, yeah but. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even starting there, starting before there. But definitely yeah. there's a much longer history of that, but. Yeah, all right. So magic realism is this distinctly interesting genre mm-hmm. where magic is treated as an everyday occurrence or at least a part of the world that you can expect to happen. And the story is generally not about the magic in the way that a lot of yeah. times my mm-hmm. stories, I mean, all stories about character, right? But yeah. in my stories, the characters are often trying to solve a mystery of the magic. And Encanto is really interesting because you think that might be what it's about, but then you don't get an answer to that at the end. Yeah. And that's very magic realism, mm-hmm. right? You can interpret, you can give lots of different guesses. <laughs> yeah. But there's no, oh, we figured out what is wrong with the magic and we fixed it. Yeah. It we, w- one of the reasons I wanted yeah. to have this conversation mm-hmm. with you yeah. is because I watched it and mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that ending is not what I expected. Right. It's kind of the anti-Brandon ending in a lot it of is. ways. Absolutely. Because it's, you know, you compare mm-hmm. that to Elantris. Both yeah. are distinctly about... The magic is broken. How do we fix it? Yeah. And they kind of ultimately were not interested in exploring the rules and the function of the magic and repairing it so much as the magic is the backdrop of how they tell the story. People would assume, you wouldn't, but people would assume that I would dislike the movie because of that. Mm -hmm. They're not understanding that me choosing to write a certain style of fantasy and lean into it is not me saying this is the way that one must write fantasy. It is me saying this is what interests me as a writer and what I feel I'm good at doing. I absolutely love stories that have soft magic systems or don't have answers to the magic system or things Mm -hmm. like that, as long as the story is well-constructed, which this one was, right? Yeah. Like the story of Encanto is the magic doesn't matter in a magic realism sort of way because the family is broken. Mm-hmm. And the story is about the family healing. Yeah. That's very classic magic realism sort of concept. Mm-hmm. And it's done very, very well. And of course, once the family is healed, the magic figures itself out. Yeah. One of the things that I really loved about it is how kind of episodic the movie was, mm. which again goes right back to yeah, 100 Years of 100 Solitude. 100 Years of Solitude. Yeah. And even, you know, like Water for Chocolate, mm-hmm. that here is an event that happens. And we understand it in the context of all the other events that happen, but they don't necessarily have to lead to or from each other. Right. And so we watch Mirabelle in Encanto kind of going through and she's like, well, you know, I need to get my sister. I need to repair my relationship with my sister. I need to repair my relationship with my grandmother. I would would say I need to understand my sister, understand my sister, understand Mm -hmm. my uncle. Like, it's just about understanding. And she does repair one specific relationship with the flower sister. Yeah, yeah. Like, that one needs to be repaired. But I really think it's understand. Mm -hmm. Just go understand. Just go and talk to them, figure out. And, you know, she doesn't actually help them in a lot of cases. No, she doesn't. She kind of does with the flower sister, whose mm-hmm. name I can't Is it like Isabel? But Isabella? Louisa, the first mm-hmm. one, who's really yeah. strong, she doesn't actually solve that sister's problem. Well, what's And key yeah. to it, mm-hmm. 
as wonderful as Louisa's song is mm-hmm. about uh, pressure, yeah. we don't actually see Louisa being the pillar of the family at all. This is an anxiety she's essentially imposed on herself. It's very with grandma's don't help. show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, grandma is the one who's kind of yeah. given everyone anxiety in that family. No, but here's what I love about that. Yeah. Right? And I'm sure others have talked about this, but it's something that I'm watching the movie. Like, it has a really interesting different structure like mm-hmm. we're talking about. What I love is Disney movies have the I want song. Yeah. Right? This is like mm-hmm. a classic trope of the Disney. The well, of hero, Broadway in general. Yeah. The hero and her- or heroine will stand up and say, you know, I want to get beyond the waves and I sail out. I want to out. be part of your world. I want to be part of your world. And in Encanto, it is a sequence of I want songs from the different members of the family. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like the normal structure where the side character sings a song basically about the main character. Like Sebastian sings to Ariel, not here's what Sebastian wants. He sings, mm-hmm. here's what you should want. Yeah. Right? Where in this... You know, you go to Louisa and she's like, here's me and my problem and what mm-hmm. I want. And, and I and really like that as yeah. a cool different take. It, it, it's so cool because Mirabelle does have her I want song. Yes. I think it's actually the most boring song in the movie. But mm. uh, she does have her I want song. Mm-hmm. And then she goes to Louisa and you're right. Louisa sings an I want song. Yep. And the Isabel, sister. who I think is the flower sister, sings an, she I, want sings song. an I want song. Everyone is basically giving their own version mm-hmm. of, well, here's the thing that I want. And so a lot of it is, like you say, just coming to understand, not necessarily even solving anyone's problem, but just opening those lines of communication. Yeah. And that's what fixes everything at the end. For a writer, it's a really cool movie to experience for that reason. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda, we have to mention, is a genius. Yeah. And the music is great. And I can tell just because my kids are all singing the music still after watching it. That's great. Yeah. One thing I learned is that even though we don't talk about Bruno Mm -hmm. is the mega hit, it's actually surpassed Let It Go from Frozen in terms of like radio play and stuff. Uh But because of the timing, this is one of the thousand and one reasons why the Oscars are stupid, why award shows in general are, are meaningless. You actually have to submit... Mm. songs from your movie for consideration and you can only submit a certain number and at the time they thought that Dos Orguitas was going to be the big breakout and the one most likely to win so they submitted that instead of Bruno Mm -hmm. and now Bruno would be a easy shoe in to win but it's not even under consideration because award shows are stupid oh man award shows are kind of stupid (sighs) but our award (laughs) <laughs> have you, you heard my award? You have oh. an award? This was on my live stream last week where we joked, as many have before, about George R.R. R. Martin and J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And I joked, well, George earned his second R. And, you know, his after releasing this, you know, mm-hmm. he was awarded his second R. It's like uh, being in, being knighted by the fantasy community. You, you know, yeah. you get an R and then if you're really good, you get a second R. And I realized there should be an award that allows you to go by RR, just That's like awesome. you get to go by sir or dame if you get knighted. Once you get this award, you're allowed to put RR. I love the idea that how many R's you have is yes. like how many Michelin stars yes. a restaurant mm-hmm. has. Yeah. So but it can only George go to two. is a 2R author. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And J-R-R. What's mm-hmm. his first name? John? Uh, yeah. John Ronald mm-hmm. Rule Token. He's mm-hmm. a 2R author. 
I mean, you could also... Can, can we hypothesize the eventual existence of a 3R author? No, I think there's a K before you get to the R's. Because you've got J.K. Rowling. Okay. Right? And, you know, she got a K. And then you, you upgrade to an R. And then you get an RR. Or, okay. or maybe, you know, maybe it's sexist like the way they do knighting where you're not a sir. If you're a woman, you get a K instead uh, of an R. I don't know. So uh, I love this. <laughs> what, what's the voting or judging body that tans out the R's? Tans out an R. I have no Is idea. Just you? Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's us. Maybe we give R's to people. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, here I want to give an R. While we're as long as we're in the middle of this, yeah, I'm actually reading a magic realism right now called The Inheritance of Orchidia Divina by Soraya okay. Cordova. Uh-huh. Uh, she was on Writing Excuses actually a few years ago at FanX, but I don't remember if you were there or not. I don't either. So Zoraida's great. Mm -hmm. This is her new book, and it actually is really fascinating because it is clearly inspired by this grand, you know, legacy of magic Mm -hmm. realism, but also she's part of the, you know, U.S. fantasy community, Mm -hmm. and so there's elements of that in there as well. The the fantasy is a little more overt, a little Mm -hmm. more fantasy novel in some ways, really absolutely wonderful. Well, I would likewise recommend one of my favorites, Lucia Shepard, who is not part of the community, though he did live in Central America for a long time. Uh, the man who painted the dragon, and I cannot pronounce the dragon's name. Giraule. Yes. Or Giraule. That's one of my favorites. And there's a whole series of those, aren't mm-hmm. there? He did. A, he had a magic realism phase, mm-hmm. Lucia Shepard did. So anyway, question for you about okay. Encanto. Okay. Are you surprised by its success? Because I am. I'm a little surprised mm-hmm. by its success, but only because, as I very rudely alluded to at the beginning, I have not been super thrilled with the Disney Pixar offerings of late. Uh-huh. I thought Raya and the Last Dragon was really beautiful to look at and very boring. The story did not click for me at all. I love the characters. Mm-hmm. Story didn't land. I had, um, I, I thought, had issues with that as well. I thought Luca was, again, really beautiful, but didn't know what it was doing. And I wonder, because mm-hmm. neither of those had music in them, mm. I wonder how much of my reaction is just, well, you didn't have songs. How, what did you think of Soul? It had music, not Soul songs. Sort of had, yeah. Soul worked better for me. Mm-hmm. Soul had that moment at the end that I feel clicked right. in a way that Luca and Raya never did. Right. That moment is Soul's like saving grace, if if you would mm-hmm. say. Having a message I've never heard from a film that is a legit message that people need to hear that is about art, being an artist, mm-hmm. was really cool for me. I thought Soul lost its way a little bit in the middle. It's like too many ideas, not knowing which idea to tell, like the body swap and some of these things. So they-, mm-hmm. they played it in an well, interesting way. It, but... it, uh, it was long. And usually when I think, I, I always go back to the Roger mm-hmm. Ebert quote that uh, no good movie is too long mm. and no bad movie is short enough. Yeah. And so if a movie starts to feel long to me, mm. it's usually because the pacing is off and the storytelling is broken. And Soul hit that point. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because it did absolutely save itself at the end. I would agree with you on, if I were going to rank those three, I think I would put Soul, Luca, then Raya. You seem you would do the same. You would just probably have them all a little bit lower than I do. 
Yeah, I would definitely put them in that same order. Mm -hmm. I really wish that I liked Raya more than I do because the world building was beautiful. Yeah, but I, I really, just, they didn't. I really liked Aquafina well. in it. I, I seem to just enjoy her in everything I see in everything. her in. Um, <laughs> regardless, mm -hmm. Encanto, I am surprised by its success. In that, now I think it's an eight out of ten. Right, mm -hmm. it's a really good movie, but I did not think it would click with like my nieces, like Frozen did. Frozen, okay. I watch Frozen, I'm like, oh yeah. Girl power, pretty princess and practical princess, but that's not that practical, you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah. You know, the two sisters, you've got cool magic that's very, the magic you would want to have, which Encanto does have. It yeah. also has a bunch that you're like, why would I want that? But it, you know, <laughs> it at least has, you get to be friends to all the animals. Mm -hmm. By the way, you get to hear everyone whispering all the time and can never turn it off. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, but. It does not sound great. But regardless, it did have a little bit of that. But Frozen, I was watching, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then when it exploded and became the biggest thing ever, you can't guess that something's going to get that big ever. Mm -hmm. These phenomenon movies or phenomenon books, you can never guess. We've talked yeah. about that. But when it happened to Frozen, I'm like, oh, yeah, makes perfect sense. It's got a banger of a song mm -hmm. at the center of it. It's the first really big Disney subversion of the love at first sight protagonist needs to have a love interest story. Great. I understand exactly why it's huge. In Kanto, when it did the same thing, I'm like, wow, I I would not have pegged the quirky yeah. story about a family that's dysfunctional that's at the end this resolution is, well, abusive grandma, try to be less abusive. And she's like, okay. And that's your resolution <laughs> being the thing, right? There's, yeah. there's no hero's journey. There's no standard storytelling archetypes from traditional yeah. archetypes, you know. It, and, you know, looking yeah. at traditional Hollywood mm -hmm. storytelling, yeah. it breaks so many rules. Yeah. It does not have an ending at all mm -hmm. based on many structural models. I do think the music is a huge part of why it's been so successful. Yeah. You know, uh, Dolores's verse from We Don't Talk About Bruno, that's going to be in my head until yep. I die because mm. it's incredibly catchy. But on top of that, I do think that it absolutely stands on its own merits mm -hmm. as a really compelling family narrative. And there's very few of those, especially, yeah. you know, when we start talking about the grander resume mm -hmm. repertoire of Disney, how right. many Disney heroines even have parents, yeah. let alone an entire family? Yeah. And that I think that's is a big, deal. a big thing and a big reason of why I think it hits so strong. Well, and what's partially interesting also is kind of watching from the outside. It's obvious that Disney didn't understand how big it would be mm -hmm. or why it would be big. Yeah. You mentioned they submitted the wrong song to the Oscars, right? Mm -hmm. Emily was telling me, and I don't have a primary source on this because it comes to me secondhand, but Emily was telling me that they completely misfired on which dolls to make, that Louisa was selling out and they, they didn't think little girls would want Louisa dolls. And lo and behold, that's the one that no one can get a hold of. And yeah. my niece who had an Encanto-themed birthday party, she's 16 and yeah. 16, not 17 yet, but she's 16 and she's very into it. She's mm -hmm. learning to play all the songs on her guitar. She made Encanto food for us. She's seen the movie, you know, a hundred times and things like that. She loves Isabella. 
or Isabel or the flower girl, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the one that she's latched onto is I want that doll. I want that, you know, yeah. that, that character is the one that spoke to me. The character that is trapped in a perfect life and has to pretend that she's perfect when she really doesn't want to live up to these expectations. Yeah. Like, and I think maybe part of it is you've got all of these different characters who feel really real and it doesn't have to just be Mirabelle's story, which mm-hmm. it's is mostly, yeah. but still. Well, I think that that is a key part of mm-hmm. the movie's success is yeah. that, you know, you watch Little Mermaid and either mm-hmm. you identify with her or you don't. And, yeah. you know, the older you get, the more you realize that she is completely yeah. broken and she is not a role model The in more any you're sense. like, oh, man, I, I identify with Sebastian <laughs> so much. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with Encanto, mm-hmm. all of the three core sisters, mm-hmm. but many of the other characters yep. as well are incredibly relatable in different ways. Yep. And so if you are the person who is holding your family together, mm-hmm. then you're like, oh yeah, Louisa. Mm-hmm. And if you are the person who feels like you have to put on a facade in order to you know, yep. move through the world, then Isabella. And if you are the person who feels like you can't do anything and nobody takes you seriously, then you're a Mirabelle. And mm-hmm. it has that kind of horoscope quality that is really prevalent in, you know, for example, the Hogwarts houses. Yes. So there is a thing you can latch onto and identify mm-hmm. with, even if it's not the main storyline. And very few movies give you that. Making the house a character was really a great move as a representation of the family and mm-hmm. a representation of location for this. And I think, you know, we talk about cute side characters. The Building has never been a cute side character that I can remember yeah. in a Disney film, and it works so wonderfully well in this one, Yeah, with also it being the character that dies and has to be resurrected is really cool. What do you think about what I said earlier about the abusive grandmother having a redemption arc question mark? Well, so first of all, I think it is worth pointing out mm-hmm. that the... Big, mean matriarch of the family is a key component of Encanto. It's a key component of Coco. Mm-hmm. It's a key component of like water for chocolate. Like it is there because it is a key part of a lot of Latin culture. And so, you know, I love pointing that out to my wife and she's like, she hadn't even noticed. But yeah, a lot of these things are about the big, mean matriarch of the family who's holding everyone together and kind of... They're in awe. That's actually also kind of the plot of Orchidia Divina that I mentioned earlier. I will mention my favorite Reddit comment on a thread about Encanto. Whoever you are, I love this, where they said, the most magical thing about Encanto is that an abuela would admit that she's wrong. <laughs> and that seemed like somebody who uh, who had some experience. But my kind of thing here is, and I totally accept it. I don't think it's a flaw of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's something to talk about, though. Yeah. Is that like a lot of films, particularly in this genre, you need to exaggerate Mm -hmm. in order to make stories work. So you can't just have your uncle get offended. Uncle? Cousin? Uncle, right? Bruno? Yeah. Yeah, he was her uncle. Get offended and move to the town next door. He has to live in the walls for a decade, sneaking food and pathetically dreaming of eating with his family that he still loves while Mm -hmm. he breaks apart inside. Like, that is 
such a level of mental turmoil mm-hmm. and the abuse that led to that when his song is sung and you understand just how mean everyone was to him. Part of me has to just patch that over and be like, look, they have to exaggerate to make a film yeah. like this work. In real life, this would be a way more serious issue mm-hmm. than you can fix by, you know, holding hands. But you can argue that in most Disney stories, the world is in a much worse place than one person should be able to fix anyway. It's the mm-hmm. same sort of thing. It's no different from Moana putting the heart of the sea back and saving all of the planet, right? Yeah. But it is something that I kind of had to gloss over. Yeah, well, and, and Moana is a good example because that has the same thing of, you know, the villain throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing is actually a good and wonderful person mm-hmm. if we can find a way to relate to her. Yes. What saves it for me, maybe save is the wrong mm-hmm. word, what makes it work for me is that ultimately Mirabelle, it's not a story about Mirabelle getting her magic power. Mm-hmm. That's what you think it is the whole time. Yeah. It's actually the story of Mirabelle taking her place as the new abuela. Yeah. Who also does not have a magic power. Yep. And that's never really discussed, mm-hmm. but it becomes very obvious by the end that right. she doesn't have her own magic. Her job is to hold everyone together. That's exactly the situation Mirabelle is in. And I kind of wish that there had been a little more of the grandma's point of view. Mm. Maybe point of view is the wrong thing, but being able to see from her side, these are the sacrifices that I had to make in order to hold the family together rather than just, I was traumatized by the death of my husband, so I went overboard. Yep. Because that feels like it could have been a really nice moment for Mirabelle to get Mm -hmm. the training of, well, I'm going to take over for you someday, so you're going to teach me everything that I need to do in order to hold this family. Yeah. But- the level of kind of sideways abuse to Mirabelle from the grandma is also kind of a sticking point to me. Because, again, I don't think it's a flaw. It's mm-hmm. something to discuss. But it's not, oh, you poor dear. I love you. I'm sorry that you didn't get a power. It is, you are an embarrassment to this family. And yeah. whatever you did, I wish you would just vanish. Which she never says out loud. No. But you do kind of get that impression. Yeah. And part of the reason that a lot of this Mm -hmm. doesn't work very well, part of the reason that I think this is an issue, is just like with Louisa, we never Mm -hmm. see scenes of her being the pillar that holds the family. We never actually know what's wrong with the family. We don't know why Isabel has to marry well in order Mm -hmm. to keep everyone alive. We don't know why grandma is so concerned about, you know, maintaining whatever it is she's maintaining because they're never really at peril of anything. There is the distant violence in the past that's on the other side of the mountains. And Mm -hmm. that is a very historically accurate Colombian Mm -hmm. thing. But, you know, everyone in town loves them. Yeah, They have everything they need. The entire first song is everyone thinks you're awesome. Let's follow you around and Mm -hmm. talk about how awesome you are. And so there isn't really a sense of peril that would justify the grandmother's level of zeal. Yeah. Yeah, Just the fear that she will be proven wrong, I guess is the wrong phrase. That Mirabelle is an example that the grandma is doing something wrong and the grandma is afraid that that's the case. Mm -hmm. But that's all, you know, that's me 
supposing, right? That's one of the wonderful things about this movie is it leaves a lot of room yeah. for discussion because I've heard so many different interpretations of mm-hmm. the ending and none of them are the one you just stated, That <laughs> which I think is the most obvious one is that Mirabelle is taking the grandmother's place. You know, the theories that my niece has discussed about what the ending means and things, it's very different. And I find that really interesting and well done. Yeah. I really wonder if there was an earlier version of the screenplay that had the violence on the other side of the mountains Mm. cross the mountains. Mm. And I can see why they didn't go that direction. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a good decision. But I wonder if we need to protect ourselves from that threat, if that was ever made more current and more urgent at some point in the process. And I wonder how that would change it. Last thoughts? Final thoughts? Mm -hmm. We don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) 